Father God, uh, we thank you for your um, your word. Thank you for it that it tells us how all things came to be, um, and our place in that as people made um, uh, from an expression of your great love uh, to uh, make a people in your image to relate to you. Uh, to rule the creation under you. Uh, we thank you for um, the wonder of that uh, and that you do indeed hold us in your hands. Uh, and Father, as we look at this um, interesting and, and in places difficult uh, little book, but um, beautiful book, we pray that uh, you would speak to us uh, and change us uh, for your glory. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Solomon's Song of Songs. The farm girl sings, Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the young women love you. Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. The friends sing, we rejoice and delight in you. We will praise your love more than wine. The farm girl replies, how right they are to adore you. Dark am I, yet lovely, daughters of Jerusalem. Dark like the tents of Kedar, like the tent curtains of Solomon. Do not stare at me because I am dark, because I am darkened by the sun. My mother's sons were angry with me and made me take care of the vineyards, my own vineyard I had to neglect. Tell me, you whom I love, where you graze your flock and where you rest your sheep at midday, why should I be like a veiled woman beside the flocks of your friends? The friends sing, if you do not know, most beautiful of women, follow the tracks of the sheep and graze your young goats by the tents of the shepherds. The farm boy sings. I liken you, my darling, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariot horses. Your cheeks are beautiful with earrings, your neck with strings of jewels. We will make you earrings of gold studded with silver. The farm girl replies, while the king was at his table, my perfume spread its fragrance. My beloved is to me a sachet of myrrh resting between my breasts. My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms from the vineyards of En Gedi. The farm boy sings, how beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes are doves. The farm girl sings, how handsome you are, my beloved. Oh, how charming. And our bed is verdant. The farm boy sings, the beams of our house are cedars. Our rafters are firs, the farm girl, I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. The farm boy, like a lily among thorns, is my darling among the young women. And lastly, the farm girl sings again. Like an apple tree among the trees of the forest is my beloved among the young men. I delight to sit in his shade, and his fruit is sweet to my taste. Let him lead me to the banquet hall, and let his banner over me be love. Strengthen me with raisins. Refresh me with apples, for I am faint with love. His left arm is under my head, and his right arm embraces me. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field. 
Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Well, uh, I'm feeling a little nervous right now. I don't know if you can tell. Maybe you are too. Reading a book like The Song of Songs, it's not hard to figure out why. It can be difficult to get your head around. Those of us who are here and perhaps have been a Christian for a while, we're more used to parts of the New Testament, perhaps, uh, the letters of Paul or the Gospels. But here, right in the middle of our Bibles, there's this love poem. It's full of rich imagery and poetry. And on one level, there's a kind of natural nervousness that we feel when we approach it. Uh, When you talk about the sorts of things the song talks about, love and romance, it feels something so private and personal. Uh, And the song kind of, you can feel like you're eavesdropping in on this conversation between these two guys. Well, more than two, it turns out. But um, So there's a kind of natural nervousness that I'm feeling, and perhaps you are. (laughs) But there's more than that, though. Uh, More than that is the fact that the book touches on some really deep and sensitive areas of our lives, both our joys and our sorrows, our cherished memories and our regrets. So it's natural that we might feel nervous reading this book. There's two kind of reactions that Christians have had over the ages to this book of the Song of Songs, perhaps reacting, um, uh, sort of responding to that feeling of Nervousness. There's two reactions that Christians have had. On the one hand, it's possible to just kind of bury this book away. We know it's there. Uh, we kind of just ignore it and we can be vaguely disapproving of anyone reading it, much less talking about it in church. Uh, there's a character in a Dorothy Sayers novel. I don't know if you read Dorothy Sayers. Uh, there's a character called Lord Peter Whimsey who says at one point, kind of capturing this, feeling of just uh, disapproval about the song. Um, This character says, In my youth, they used to make me read the Bible. Trouble was, the only books I took to naturally were the ones they weren't over and above keen on. But I got to know the Song of Songs pretty well by heart. So (laughs) he's kind of capturing this vague disapproval and bearing of the song. Uh, There is an opposite reaction to that. Though this, this an opposite extreme that sometimes comes out in different uh, ways it gets talked about. Sometimes Christians can kind of, in reaction against that, focus on it in an overly explicit way. One American mega preacher in recent years preached through, through this book in what it seemed to me were actually really unhelpful and crude and explicit ways that isn't justified by the book itself. Um, So it's wrong to be kind of prudish about the book. It's wrong to be more prudish than God is. But the song itself is not crude. It's not explicit. It's tender. It's full of rich imagery, but it's not crass. So what we're going to try and do is plot a middle way together. I mentioned last week that I'm approaching this with a PG rating. We have kids in, and I've prepared with that in mind. Um, So I, I might use language that's not as direct as you uh, as it could be and that's just why Uh, but it is something that we need to wrestle with in here because this is God's good word for all of God's people we all need to hear it 
Um, those reasons we might feel nervous about it actually turn out to be reasons why we need this book. It's a precious gift from God to us. It's a much-needed voice, especially in our current climate. Um, the Bible's vision of physical intimacy and romantic love is increasingly at odds with the vision of our society. Of course, that's coming to a head at the moment with the, the uh, postal vote on the redefinition of marriage. Um, so there's this kind of increasing at-odds feeling between the Bible's vision for this and our cultures. One response to that is to go through and explain what the Bible teaches, to list the Bible's teaching, and that's really important, and we need to do that. Um, it's important to see that right from the beginning of the Bible, humanity was created male and female, that marriage is given as a lifelong, exclusive and public union of a man and woman geared towards bearing and raising children of their own. Uh, it's important to teach that and to see that this is woven into the fabric of creation, um, woven through the whole Bible's story, uh, and that, in part, that's what we're doing in our home groups over these few weeks. If you're um, in a home group, you'll, uh, you'll be able to sort of pick up on that. Uh, we will build on some of those things on Sundays. Um, but the, so one response is to, to, to sort of just teach what the Bible says, which is good and we need to do. But the song, this song, what it, what it does is actually something else. It does something more. It assumes the Bible's teaching. It assumes what I just described. But its aim primarily isn't to inform you or even to convince you. A Song of Songs is here to stir you, to, to use an old-fashioned word, to woo you, to grip your heart, not just with the truth of God's design laid out in a series of facts, but with its beauty, with its goodness. And this is really important. Um, it seems to me Christians have often got this wrong. We've all too often communicated a message that basically gets heard as and comes down to no. No to freedom, no to fun, no to intimacy. We've come across as self-defensive and judgmental. But God's word to a world longing for intimacy is not no, it's yes. It's not don't sing, it's here is a better song. The song of all songs. That's what this, the name of this, this book means. It's like saying Farmer's Union is the iced coffee of iced coffees. Thought I'd just throw that in since we gave you all one last week. Um, uh, here is the song, of so the song of all songs, the greatest song. See, our culture is singing its own song too. It does it literally through the music that gets played on the radio and that we hear, are surrounded by. But not just through that, it's doing it all the time. It's singing a song that grips our hearts, that serenades us. Uh, that's why you can have this kind of distinction between what you know to be true in your head, but a kind of reluctance or a feeling of uncertainty, because not because you don't believe that to be true, but you're not sure it's beautiful. You don't yearn for it. 
Uh, you may have let your mind be formed by the Bible, but perhaps your heart is being shaped by different songs, uh, songs that sing of life apart from God and his ways. We do need better teaching, and I'm hoping to include teaching over the next few weeks, and as I said, home groups will really boost that. Um, if you're not in a home group for whatever reason, there are booklets out there that you can take to work through those things on, in your own time. We do need better teaching. But we also need a better song. And God in his grace has given it to us. That's what we'll be exploring over the next few weeks. We'll try and hear the different themes of this song over the three weeks. Uh, this week, looking at what the source of this intimacy is. Next week, what's gone wrong, the fall of intimacy, and in the third week, the perfection of intimacy. And we'll, we'll try and hear that song kind of alongside the songs of our, of our world. Um, so I'm just going to try and briefly, if, you, if you've got your hand out there, you can see a bit of an outline where we might be going. I just want to briefly try to paint a picture of this question, of the source of intimacy. Where, where does this desire for... Um, uh, for physical intimacy, romantic intimacy come from? Where does this longing come from? Um, one of the big assumptions for many people today is what gets called naturalism. Uh, the, uh, naturalism says there's no reality outside what you can see and touch and hear, outside your senses. Uh, so according to that kind of way of thinking about life, this physical, uh, romantic intimacy is just is basically a, a kind of cosmic accident. Um, it plays a useful evolutionary role, but there's no sense of design or higher purpose to it. Uh, for those of you who are a bit older, you might be a, a Cole Porter fan. Any Cole Porter fans out there? No, anyone? No. Oh, yeah, there's a few. There's a few. Great singer. Uh, he sang one song. Yeah, maybe you recognise it. When the little bluebird, who has never said a word, starts to sing Spring, Spring. When the little bluebell at the bottom of the dell starts to ring, ding, ding. When the little blue clerk in the middle of his work starts a tune to the moon up above, it is nature, that's all, simply telling us to fall in love. And that's why, that's why birds do it, bees do it, even educated fleas do it. So let's do it, let's fall in love. Thank you, yep. Um, uh, that, yeah, yeah, I'm here again next week. Yeah. Uh, being in love, falling in love, making love is simply what animals do. So let's do it with whoever and as often as we want to. I mean, that's sort of taking it further than maybe Cole Porter was meaning it, but a, a more recent song put it more bluntly. Uh, so you and me, baby, we ain't nothing but mammals. Uh, and that's the, it's, the, it's not quite as poetic as coal, but it's the same idea. It's the same idea. Uh, intimacy at, by accident. Uh, and what that leads to, flowing out of that, is you kind of, a view of intimacy that sees it as a kind of natural right that you've got to, make, you've got to grab to make happen. It's an achievement. You, if natural selection is right, only the strong are going to survive. So you'd better get strong and go out and make it happen. There's a song in the top 40 at the moment. I don't recommend you actually go and look it up. Um, I tried to get all songs from the current songs in this, but uh, I was <laughs> they were far too 
explicit to, to sing in church, so I won't go there. Uh, but one line from one of them puts it like this, I don't want to waste it, take the risk and make it. Ain't no need for faking, love is for the taking. Again, uh, you can kind of see the, 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 um, the downward spiral of poetic uh, kind of beauty in... Uh, anyway, I won't lament that. But just, <laughs> it, there's a kind of common sense to this idea of love is for the taking. It's, an, it's a right, it's an achievement. If this world is all there is, um, if we are just animals with appetites, then you're hungry, you eat food. You feed your appetite. But perhaps the strong, one of the strongest currents that kind of feeds into this uh, alongside those other things is what um, people talk about as the rise of the individual, rise of kind of individualism. The last 50 years have seen this huge shift in Western countries away from seeing ourselves as being under institutions and external authorities. Um, if you want to know how to live, you don't listen to those kind of external voices who are just power hungry and want to manipulate you anyway. What do you do? You look in. Uh, you listen to your heart. It doesn't matter. It, it doesn't really matter ultimately what your heart is saying, just so long as you listen to it. Um, intimacy through looking in, a kind of inward focus for this. Well, uh, this is the. I've tried to paint some brushstrokes of the song. That, that's a mixed metaphor. Sorry, I've tried to sing some themes of the songs of our world. Um, it's important to see that there are, there's a real goodness in them, in this song, if you want to kind of capture it like that. The shift towards the individual has freed many people from unfair and oppressive treatment by people in positions of power. We should celebrate that. God cares about the individual. And we heard this, we're each individually created in his image. But we also need to see how this, this song of our world, it doesn't actually deliver. It doesn't deliver. It promises lots and it doesn't deliver. As a society, we're more fractured, we're more lonely, we're less fulfilled. A recent extensive study by someone at Oxford University showed that Far from being liberated, liberating, liber, far from us being liberated into an era of free love, people today are less and less active in terms of physical intimacy. Um, perhaps not what you'd expect, and the trend's going downwards. Um, and similar sort of stories get told in terms of the fracturing of our uh, society and loneliness. And the song promises lots. It grabs onto something good and real, the, but it doesn't deliver ultimately. Well, what about the Song of Songs? How does it bring out to us the same kind of questions, the source and the, the flavour and the texture, the themes of real intimacy? One of the things you notice in a Song of Songs, perhaps maybe you've sort of um, had the guts to kind of read through it ahead of today. Uh, maybe you'll go away after today and have a bit of a read through. Um, one of the things you notice if you read through there is there are gardens everywhere. There's gardens and plants um, all through the song. 
We saw it in today's reading, it should be up on the screen, uh, 2 verse 3. Like an apple tree among the trees of the forest is my beloved among the young men. I delight to sit in his shade and his fruit is sweet to my taste. And that's just one example. It's all through the song, this, uh, this imagery of, of sort of garden trees and metaphors like that. Uh, people who write about this sort of thing reckon that it's um, a, a pretty, a pretty kind of uniformly reckon that it's a way of connecting this song to the opening chapters of the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2, the Garden of Eden, the kind of thing we looked at in the kids' talk. Uh, you have this similarly beautiful and poetic account of God lovingly creating all things, including people. And at the end of chapter 2, again on the screen, um, at the end of chapter 2 of Genesis, you read, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Uh, so what you get in Genesis and People have kind of thought this, that the song really picks up on this. What you get in Genesis, the song picks up on, uh, is that romantic intimacy isn't an accident. It's not an accident. Um, it's by the design of a good and loving creator. You see this actually right in the opening title of the song in 1 verse 1. Um, there's that title that we read, Solomon's Song of Songs. It's called Solomon's Song of Songs. There's a bit of debate about whether that means Solomon actually wrote it or whether it was just kind of dedicated to him or in, in some way. Um, that's not really that important. But what's really clear is that using Solomon's name at the, at the start of this puts this book, this song, in a type of writing in the Bible called wisdom writing. Uh, Solomon is like the great figurehead of this wisdom writing in the Bible. Wisdom is all about recognising Genesis 1 and 2, that God made all things, he's a good and loving designer. Wisdom is all about living well in the world that God has made. Uh, God has designed his world and wisdom is about how we can kind of line up our lives with the grain of God's creation uh, of his design. But what that leads to, so um, there's this really kind of background assumption in the Song of Songs that this is by God's design. It's, it's not an accident. Um, this world isn't all there is. This world is lovingly designed by, by God. But what that leads to is that right, the right way of thinking about intimacy is not, you remember kind of in the, the, the world's song, as I put it, um, we kind of think about intimacy as, as a right that we demand. Um, in the Bible and, and the framework for the Song of Songs, um, it can't, can never be something that we demand. It's always a gift of, God, of God's grace. It's a gift of God's grace. And that means a couple of things for this couple in the song. It means that um, they're free to enjoy this gift without any sense of shame or guilt. It is a good gift. It's right, it's right in verse 2 for the farm girl to want her farm boy to kiss her with the kisses of his mouth. It's right for the friends in verse 4 to look on and delight in what's going on, to praise their love. That's right and good because they recognise that this is a gift from a good, loving God. 
Uh, but because this kind of intimacy is a gift to receive and it's not a right to demand, it's also right that this gift be received in the right way, in the way that it was designed for. Uh, we're going to look more at this next week, but um, that's why at the end of the reading we had down in chapter 2, verse 7 today, that's why the farm girl sings this, and this gets repeated through the song, that's why she sings, Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field, do not arouse her awakened love until it so desires. This gift is good, but it's so good and so powerful that God has graciously put a fence around it so that it can be honoured and received properly. That's what the covenant of marriage is. Uh, and the wisdom of this song says, don't grasp at this gift as if it's your right. Don't arouse or awaken it in ways that don't honour its giver. In relationships it wasn't designed for. Um, we're going to revisit this next week. Intimacy by design. Intimacy as a gift, a loving gift by a good creator. But what about the individualism that's kind of this huge theme in our culture? Um, there is, a, I think if you read through the song, there is a, a real individual focus in the song. Um, there is a kind of looking in for this intimate. The farm girl loves her farm boy. She delights to sit in his shade, we read earlier. She delights to. There is an inward looking. But one of the really odd things about the song, I don't know if you picked this up, uh, there's a really strange, it seems strange to us perhaps, um, is that while this is all going on, these two lovers are singing to each other, right there next to them there's a group of her friends. Uh, they're kind of looking on. It seems a bit of an evasion of per private space to me, but uh, they're kind of waxing lyrical. And right there next to them there's all her friends looking on and kind of nodding and smiling and approving um, but you get the sense that, that this isn't just about two individuals. Um, it is about their, their kind of looking in, in a way, but there's a looking out that happens. That we are individuals, but what our culture gets, I think, wrong is that we're not just individuals, or we're not even primarily or only individuals. We're, this love relationship takes place in a community. It's not hidden away. This couple are looking forward to their marriage, uh, but they know that their marriage isn't just a private thing about their own love. It's a public thing. It's a community thing. They look out around them as well, as you know, and, and, but over and above all of that, and this is really just what we've already seen, thinking about wisdom and God's um, gift uh, over and above all that. They, they don't just look in. They don't just look to the people around them. They look up. They, uh, their intimacy isn't just about them, it's not just about their community, it is fundamentally about God. Um, and it's, their relationship is gone about in a way that is always in reference to God, about receiving his gift in his way. We've kind of covered that already. Well... In all these ways, this song sings a different tune to the songs of our world, right? It's, um, and, and that does flow out. It, it flows out through the song into different look, way, a different kind of look, a different feel. 
I was going to sing The Look of Love, but I won't. Uh, if you know that song, some of you might. I've tried to bring out uh, some of the big themes of what the, the look of love is in this song. Um, flowing out of kind of this contrast between the songs of our world and this song of songs between um, the way in which uh, in the songs of our world in, uh, there's a kind of naturalism behind it. Everything's basically an accident. So it's your right and your achievement and, and you look into only to yourself and only to your own feelings. This song sings a really different song and it flows out in different ways. Um, I don't have this on the screen. I hoped to get it, but I didn't. Um, I'm just going to skip through some of the ways. Hopefully, if uh, yeah, it, it, the, the, the um, verses will come up. Um, but what I wanted to do is just to see how this flows out into that, what it looks like on the ground for these guys. Um, it's exclusive, is the first thing. It's exclusive. They've got eyes only for each other, not for anyone else. Uh, later in the song, in, ver- in chapter 6, the farm boy sings this, 60 queens there may be and 80 concubines and virgins beyond number, but my dove, my perfect one, is unique. There's an exclusive kind of element to it. Uh, the other, another kind of element to this love as it flows out is, it, you know, uh, sometimes you hear the kind of phrase, um, love is just about what you do, it's not about how you feel. Love is a doing word. Um, I, I get what that's getting at. Okay, I kind of un, I can kind of um, get what that's where that's coming from. But I just it it's just not the full orbed picture of love that you get in the Bible um, or here in the song. They don't. They're not just about doing acts of service for each other. Um, it's deeply emotional. It's full of delight and praise and joy in each other. It's exclusive. It, it's both action and emotion. Um, it's physical. It's obviously physical. She longs to be with him in verse 7 of chapter 1. She says, Tell me, you whom I love, where you graze your flock and where you rest your sheep at midday. Why should I be like a veiled woman beside the flocks of your friends? She, she's longing to just be with him. There's a real physical element to it. But it's, unmist- it's not just physical, it's verbal as well. It's verbal as well. They talk to each other. They tell each other why they love it. And not just in general terms either. They don't just talk about it. They get specific. They aren't just in love with love. They aren't just after any kind of person. They love a particular person. And it comes out in these long lists through the song. Through the song. Uh, it's like they're kind of taking an inventory of each other uh, and they use these images that would have had more meaning for them, right? So you get in chapter 4, the farm boy sings to his farm girl, How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes behind your veil are doves. Your hair is like a flock of goats descending from the hills of Mount Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep just shorn coming up from the washing. Each has its twin. Not one of them is alone. Your lips are like a scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil are like the halves of a pomegranate. Now, men, I don't know if you've ever told a lady that her forehead looks like a pomegranate. I'm guessing it's probably not the best idea. A point isn't to take this literally. 
Um, otherwise, you, for the literalists out there, you might end up with something like this. We've got the picture up there. If you go to the next slide. There we go. There's, an, there's a literalist interpretation of um, the lady in the Song of Songs. The point isn't to take it literally, obviously. Um, the point is they're, they're metaphors. They're, they're taking one feature of something and applying it to the other person who's comparing it to his girl. Well, you know, we're, we're not going to use the same ones, okay? So I don't, I don't recommend that you do. <laughs> um, but he still, they still speak. They still speak. Uh, they look for creative ways to fill each other up. And those of us who are married, this is important. How are you with your words to your spouse? What dominates your conversation? You, you, can't, you, know, the, you can't always go about uh, with this kind of... That would just be ridiculous to have... You know, you're always just saying this kind of thing to each other. But that's not the point. You don't always need to be gushing about each other. But uh, is this kind of talk in whatever shape it takes for you and your personality? And, but is this kind of talk a part of your relationship? You, uh, you might not feel like you're particularly good with words. You don't have to be a poet. Uh, but integral to the shape of love here is actually verbalising it, saying it. It's exclusive it's emotional, it's verbal as well as physical. There's also what I've, what I've called here, it's, it's mutual, it's mutual. There's a real mutuality here. There's no dominating partner, there's no silent spouse who's there at the other person's beck and call. The farm girl takes initiative. She's, so, she's bold and she's clear and so is the farm boy. There's a deep equality and mutual delight here. So this was, uh, it, it, there's a real mutuality here. But, but at the same time, at the same time as this, their relationship is not totally symmetrical. Like it's not as if there's no difference between them. In, we saw it in 2 verse 3. Uh, she delights to sit in his shade. And at the climax of the book in chapter 8, which we'll look at in two weeks' time, there's this scene of kind of fulfilment where the farm girl is walking up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved. It's a beautiful picture of both deep mutuality and equality, but also a compliment, if there's a big word, but a complementary kind of difference between them. They're not exact or identical. They have particular shape to their relationship. And because of that difference, the last thing I wanted to bring out from the song, their love is also fruitful love. Um, part of the way the garden imagery is used uh, brings out that there, and we'll probably see this in a couple of weeks again, this garden imagery used through it, if you want to read, you know, jot down the end of chapter 7, you can read that in your own time, but... Uh, this garden imagery brings out that their relationship is kind of naturally, organically directed towards bearing fruits. There's a sense of delight and anticipation of the fruitfulness of this union that will bring, that without this union will, God willing, bring in its time 
It's not the focus of the book, uh, but it is there in the background. It's exclusive love. Uh, it's ver- it's uh, emotional as well as action. It's verbal as well as physical. It's both neutral and complementary, and it's a fruitful love. Well, this, um, there's lot, lots more in here. Uh, that's kind of the look of this God-given romantic intimacy in this song. And so what do we make of it? <laughs> right. um, there is so much to bring out of this. Yeah. In a way, this is really a sermon in three parts. One sermon in three parts. It's probably helpful to see it like that. There are things that we haven't touched on that I hope to in the next few weeks. And it's only in the third week that we're going to try and pull back to see this song in the biggest picture of all. Um, and that will be a really critical week, I think, uh, to get a full kind of picture of what this song is about. Um, but what do we make of this, particularly thinking about the, the, the origins of intimacy or the, the contrast between the song of our world that's, uh, and the song of songs, the song of the Bible? Well, friends, just a, a couple of quick thoughts. The Gospel of Jesus reveals to us a God who is at his heart a giver. He graciously pours out his self-giving love on his people and on his world. He has done that ultimately through Jesus, God himself coming into his creation to give his own life so that we could die. Uh, Sorry, so that we could live, to die on the cross, to take the penalty our sin deserves, to to pick up on a phrase we'll look at, uh, an image we'll look at in a couple of weeks, to come and win his bride. Because of Jesus, friends, we know, we know that God is good and that he wants good for his people. That's just a really critical thing to have firmly embedded in your soul in this whole discussion, conversation. So when it comes to this gift of love, of romantic intimacy, it is good when his people openly, thankfully, receive this good gift in the way that he intended, according to his design. So for those of you who are married... Let there be kissing, let there be hand-holding and flower-buying and song-writing. Have you let your marriage grow cold? That is a question to ask if you are married. This song is God's good word to you. If you want to see it like this, his command to you to not let that happen. It is his gift to warm your marriage and to keep the fires lit. There are many of us here, though, who aren't married. Uh, So what do you make of this song? Perhaps you look forward to one day being married. The song says that that is a good desire. It does say, honour God's design and see this as a gift and not a right. And all the while trust that God is good. (laughs) Know that marriage won't ultimately save you or fulfil you and as we'll see in a couple of weeks, the gospel opens up a world in which 
chaste singleness is honourable and good and fulfilling and fruitful. But it also validates that desire if you have it. It is a good desire to have. And if in God's timing and in his way you are able to marry, then good. Break out the bubbly. But of course, what we've seen today is an ideal picture. It's an ideal picture. Wisdom writing often works like that. It presents an ideal. Uh, the reality is, though, um, it's an, it, it is an ideal that no, actually none of us, none of us ever fully, perfectly experience. None of us do. Whether through our own brokenness and sin, uh, whether through other people's brokenness and sin, and whether through bereavements, simply whether through having our own longings here unmet, all, uh, whether through tensions in our relationships, loneliness in our own marriages, all of us, married and single, experience brokenness in this area of our lives. The song acknowledges that. That's not the focus for today. The song does acknowledge that, though. And the gospel gives us a way to move towards forgiveness and healing and holiness. That's what we'll look at more next week. Let me pray for us, friends. Can we pray together? Uh, gracious God, we are just conscious that um, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it speaks to every part of our life. We thank you particularly for this part of your word in the Song of Songs. We, we know that it does speak to very deep things, very deep and wonderful joys, as, as well as hurts as well, Father. Um, we acknowledge those today. Lord, we pray that we might have a right vision, that our own vision for this might line up with yours, that we might know you as good and the one who created all things. We might know you as the designer, <coughs> the designer of all things. Uh, that we might know romantic intimacy as a good gift from a loving God. But we, we might also know um, the rightness and the goodness of receiving that gift in ways that honour you, that are in line with its design. Um, we pray that you might teach us uh, wherever we need to be taught and comfort us where we need to be comforted. We thank you for our time together now. We pray uh, most of all, Lord, for your name to be honoured among us uh, and that our church family here might be a family of both intimacy and holiness um, that might shine your gospel to this world. Help, help us to be that and teach us over these coming weeks how we might increasingly be that kind of a family. We pray that for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.